Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. A recap of The Adventure of the Solitary Cyclist by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is busy. He's very, very busy. He's got no time to do anything else for anyone because he's looking into the mysterious death of the tobacco millionaire, John Vincent Harding. So what he doesn't need is Miss Violet Smith. It's another Violet, folks. We've done with the Annies and we moved all the way on to another Violet. Violet has a problem, but uh, Holmes hasn't got the time. But she does something which really sort of piques his curiosity. She stands there and says, no, I want you to listen to my story. She's very insistent, and of course, that intrigues uh, Sherlock. So he immediately shows off with some deductions. He knows, for example, um, that she's a, a, a cyclist um, because of the... <laughs> because of the disposition of her shoes and the, where the pedals rub. Um, and also she, he works out that she's a musician because of these strangely, um, and I do like this word, even though I probably can't say it, spatulate finger ends. I do like that. Um, and yes, of course, she's a musician and of course she's a cyclist. But she's there not to talk about that. She's talk, here to talk about her situation. Um, her father was James Smith, who was uh, uh, conducted the orchestra in the old Imperial Theatre. Lord knows where that was. Um, but he died uh, and didn't really leave um, his wife, Violet's mother, or Violet very much money. Um, they were a bit surprised to find a uh, a notice in the Times because the, um, his brother, um, Ralph, had died in South Africa. He died penniless, and um, but two gentlemen, Mr Carruthers and Mr Woodley, I put a notice in the Times saying that they'd been given provision to look after um, the, the family, because that's what the old man wanted, um, and uh, and they meet up. Um, Carruthers is very, very affable, very pleasant. He's got a daughter, um, and, she, uh, and a, da a daughter who needs a music teacher, so this is perfect, so he's basically just offering a job. Um, Woodley is described on Wikipedia as a bullying churl, which I absolutely love. We're going to use the word churl a lot from now on. Um, and uh, they offer her a job, and um, she says, well, okay, it's uh, how much? And it's £100 a year. Now, Sherlock, I don't know if this is before or after the Boscombe Valley mystery, but um, immediately he's obviously thinking, well, my God, that's a lot of money for, uh, for, for for one job, but maybe they're, you know, they're philanthropists and you know, they are looking after Ralph Smith's ideals after all, so why not? Um, she goes down there, meets the kid, gets on really, really well, and um, Carruthers is all sorts of sweetness and light, although he, she suspects she 
he quite likes him, quite likes her. Um, she's engaged to Cyril Overton, who's an electrical engineer. Um, so that's not going to happen. Woodley, however, also likes her a lot and makes a more, should we say, direct plea for her. He basically throws himself at her and uh, makes lots of very lewd advance, uh, advances. And that uh, obviously is quite distressing. And she tells them both, not really interested, thanks. She goes home every weekend to see her mother. Um, and this is where the more sort of macabre um, uh, incident takes place. And this worries her more than anything else. And this is why she's come to see Holmes and Watson. Um, not much Watson at this point, as you can gather. Uh, <laughs> she, um, on her way to the station at the weekend, it's about it's about five, six mile um, bike ride uh, into town past Charlington Hall to get the uh, to get to the train. But a man cycles behind her at about 200 yards away and he never goes past her never comes closer never gets further away he's bearded she doesn't know him um and um it really gets in her head as as, as it would do really it's, it seems like low level stalking not even low level at one point she decides to fly around the corner and wait to see if he comes past nope and when she looks back around the corner even though there's no hedgerows or anything like that he's totally disappeared this is getting in her head Holmes asks the very uh, obvious um, question of, do you think it's uh, your um, your fiancé spying on you? Um, but she says, no, he's not really like that. He doesn't do that sort of thing. Um, at this point, Holmes has forgotten all about uh, <laughs> the unfortunate John Vincent Hardin. Um, he says, go back and uh, I'll come and help you if I can. Uh, in a few days, we'll do some investigations. Don't worry about it. So she goes in a slightly... Heart, heart slightly heavy I think um, he can't go, he really is busy he genuinely is busy for once um, so um, he does the next best thing, he sends Watson and Watson goes down there and inquires in the pub and uh, asking her what's going on and he sees the man, he sees the cyclist and so comes back all very very happy with himself and it's, it's one of my favourite scenes Holmes is furious with him <laughs> he gets everything wrong he said you didn't get uh uh, you know, you didn't get enough gossip about, you know, what's going on with Woodley or anything like that. Because the second you said that you're asking questions in a pub, the second everyone sort of froze up, which which definitely happens in the past as well. Um, but, uh, yes, there's uh, it, it does very, very badly. And Paul Watson's really, really devastated by this. And uh, so, uh, all right, you do better then. So uh, um, what Holmes has a good think about what to do. They get a letter from Violet, and uh, it's it's not looking things aren't going well. Carruthers has proposed marriage, and um, this has made things incredibly uncomfortable. So she says she doesn't really know what to do. So Holmes says, right, okay, I've had enough of Watson. I'm going to go down there myself. He does equally badly. He's in the pub and he's asking about Woodley, not knowing that Mr. Woodley is in the tap room listening in. Comes round and they have a big fight. Um, Holmes comes back with um, uh, a discoloured lump upon his forehead <laughs> and, and a cut lip. Um, and uh, obviously Holmes is a box so he can look after himself, but um, he's not really doing, he's not really getting anywhere either with this. So it's uh, it, it reached a bit of an impasse. But what he did find out was that Woodley is staying at Charlington Hall with a clergyman. Um, so this this is news and a, and, a, and a small development. So they're getting somewhere. They then get another letter from Violet. And it, again, it's, it's not good news. Um, she said, well, I'm definitely leaving. I'm definitely leaving because, you know, Woodley's back on the scene now. And... Um, because I think he obviously doesn't live there. And um, Carruthers keeps uh, proposing marriage. And she's very, very uncomfortable and wants to go. 
this worries Holmes a great deal. He's worried about the fact that there's a man um, on on the on the bicycle. He's worried. He's worried about that. Carruthers seems to genuinely have an affection for her. Wadley is very <laughs> there's words for Wadley, aren't there? Let's face it. Um, and she thinks that maybe something is this. This is all um, boiling, boiling up. And says they have to go down there. So they decide to go down there, and. Um, she said that they there's a, you know there hasn't been a trap that's why she's had to you know to, to to cycle down there but you know because she's going to leave she's going to put um she'll go she'll go by trap to the station and Holmes doesn't like the fact that this cyclist is behind her um so they agree to go down and he gets it wrong he gets it spectacularly wrong because what he didn't think was her getting an early train so when she's there um they find the trap um which should have been transporting her but she's not in it. They find the groom of the trap who's been uh, waylaid and um, and kicked out. And then they also see the cyclist um, who very, very kindly and politely draws a gun on them and say, you know, what have you done? What's going on? And um, Holmes says, I'm on your side. We're both on your side. And of course, it's Carruthers. We knew it's Carruthers anyway. The, the beard was a fake. Um, <clears throat> they said, we haven't got much time. And it transpires that Woodley and the clergyman, defrocked, obviously, um, have taken a kidnapped a... Um, put a gag in her mouth, and um, and basically it's a forced marriage, which is incredibly illegal and wouldn't stand in any court of law whatsoever. Um, but they're doing that anyway. Carruthers is so furious with Woodley that he shoots him, and he shoots him, and he's dead. He kills Woodley. Holmes is appalled by this, genuinely appalled. And um, you know, even though he's, he's killed Grimsley Roylet in his time, um, and he, they've they calm down, they they bring it back to their senses. And um, so, okay, no, so we find out what the full story is. And it turns out that um, Carruthers and Woodley were, um, when they were in South Africa together, where they knew Violet Smith's um, uh, father, um, they discovered that um, he was actually very, very rich. He wasn't poor at all. And to gain uh, their estate, one of them had to marry her. They played cards to decide which one was going to marry her. And um, obviously Carruthers fell for her and took um, didn't really want to do that, and that's why they fell out so much. Um, and roaring Jack Woodley, um, that's why he was so forceful and uh, and wanted to to put together an illegal marriage. So the defrock clergyman um, tries to claim that um, you know tries to lie his way all the way through it, but that ultimately is what happens in the adventure of the solitary cyclist. Our guest this week to discuss the solitary cyclist is Catherine Cook. Catherine studied French and German at Bedford College and then library studies at the University College London. She worked for Westminster Libraries from 1978 to her retirement in 2022. From August 1986, Catherine maintained and developed the library's computer systems, latterly a shared service with Kensington and Chelsea and Hammersmith and Fulham. She was awarded fellowship in the Chartered Institute of Library and Information Professionals in 2006 and won the Innovation in Libraries Award for 2009. She was awarded the British Empire Medal for Services to Libraries in the January 2020 New Year's Honours List. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us to discuss The Solitary Cyclist. Um, I, um, I know you're fairly new to this story, but um, uh, sorry, the news of the podcast. Um, so it, it's you're actually you're actually recommended to us by several people, in fact. Yeah. Uh, which uh, which I, I I think is always nice, or it, it means you have lots of enemies who think you know let's let's waste Catherine's um Catherine's evening uh, doing this. We, we've already covered the um the biography of what you've done. Um, so I have to ask about the Westminster Sherlock collection. Yep. What exactly 
I've never seen it. What exactly is is it? It's a collection of books, magazines, articles, anything we can lay our hands on, but it is a library collection to do with Sherlock Holmes and Conan Doyle. We do cover all of Conan Doyle's work as well. We've got complete run of the Strand magazine from the first issue, 1891, through to end of 1930. Conan Doyle died. Greenough Smith gave up as editor. We have complete runs of the Sherlock Holmes Journal, Baker Street Journal, the Arthur Conan Doyle Society Journal, and very good runs of a lot of other journals like wow. Canadian Homes, you name it. We try and get them. We've got very good collection of pastiche. We do not buy every pastiche that's published these days. Cost for one thing, space for another thing. Yeah, it's got to we be get the interesting ones, the ones maybe that are a bit different. We also have got a very good collection of translations, including some wonderful overseas material. There's a wonderful um, Spanish Hound of the Baskervilles that's pop-up. Open it in the right place, and the hound sort of comes out of the pages. Wow. Um, and a, a very nice French version of the hound. It always seems to be the Hound of the Baskervilles. Yeah. You get different ones. It's never the Vale Lodger, is it? No. No, it isn't. <laughs> Which is quite strange. And and how accessible is this to the general public? I mean, could I go in there and have a wander around it, or yeah, is it like the British Museum? It's British. It is. It is a bit um, appointment only, just because of staffing and the difficulty of you know the, the staff are running a, an under five toddler session. They won't be able to take you into the collection. Yeah. Um, and it also tends to be an appointment with me, which was slightly easier when I was still working, but I do it as a volunteer now. So it's just finding a mutually agreeable time. We meet at Mayfair Library, where it is at the moment. And then you either come in just to have a wander and I'll, I'll show you around and show you things like the hand of the Baskervilles leaping out at you. Or if you have specific questions or a specific topic you want to research, let me know in advance. We can pull the stuff out and you can spend some time looking at it. John, where are we next in London? I have no idea. <laughs> October. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're both for the River Conference in October. Um, yeah, yes, I can't believe it. Me a few weeks in advance. I'm sure we can find a, a date time. Uh, oh. Mayfair's open from 11 o'clock to about 7 in the evening. I'd rather not be there till 7, but I'm sure we can find a time. I, I think I would be. Um, if it comes to that. Oh, when you say the manuscripts, has, has it got the... Um, no. So presumably no. you have the... Um, uh, the manuscript, where you know, as as it says in the annotator, where he, a word changes every now and then in the American edition, he says this when he says this in the one. Well, you could do that with some of the editions. We've got American editions and the various British editions, but it's actually more complicated than that because there's the Strand text, which used a particular house style, and then you've got the American text, and then you've got what became the standard English text, which is maybe slightly different, but they're very yeah. minor differences. Um, sometimes it's a correction, so it's wrong in the the Strand and the British, like a, a station they went from, which Watson notoriously got wrong a lot, um, but it's been spotted and corrected in one edition. But we have all the manuscripts that have been published in facsimile. We wow. did two of them ourselves, of course, um, The Lion's Mane and um, the other one, we did The Dying Detective. But we've got all the BSI published ones. We've got the other ones like, well, the one, the Abbey Grange, the Sherlock Holmes Society of London did. So there are probably now about 20 facsimile manuscripts. So you don't have to take yourself off to America 
to look in detail at a manuscript, you can look at it with, in the case of the BSI books, they do a diplomatic transcription on the opposite page. And then there are, they also supplement it with articles about it, about the history of the manuscript, about aspects of the story that comes up in it. They are very good books if you're after a particular story. Wow. What would you say that the rarest item is? I think the rarest item, if I can put it like this, is the complete run of the Strand magazine. I was thinking it'd probably be anything else, can it? Because yeah, it's, it's, it's six monthly bound volumes. We've got a couple of the original monthly issues, but right. it's bound volumes. And I don't know anywhere else that you can get access to it um, publicly. I mean, I'm not sure the British Library has a run of it. And it's probably not that easy to get at anyway. No. That's what, that's... Um, I think we're about the only place you could look at it. Of course, a lot of them are online now. Yeah. But there's nothing like the hard copy and the leafing through it. Wow. I need a, I need a day out in London. And, and very possibly every minute of those eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> it can be arranged. I just thought that. Um, I've got to ask, historical recipes. Mm-hmm. What a day, please. <laughs> um, in what context? I mean, oh, it's, it's, it says in your, in your biography yeah. that... Um... Oh, in the biography, yes. Yeah. I just enjoy recreating historic recipes I've, I've got a number of cookery books modern ones but you know i've got a lovely tudor one written by one of the chaps who does the historic cooking at hampton court palace that's in black letter that's fun trying to read <laughs> and you can't necessarily get the right things these days so you can't really recreate what it actually tastes i was going to say that would be the trickiest part wouldn't it yeah, but it's it, it's fun i mean i've got everything from a prehistoric cookery book which is berries and honey and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, anything pre-Tudor, you're a bit stuck because you've really only got cabbages and roots of some variety. Yeah. Um, you know, it gets easier after that. But just the way that the Victorians do a trifle, and do a proper trifle, not jelly and things in it. With alcohol, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Sherry. Yeah. Fair, yeah. fair yeah. enough. The old punch cartoon from a more trifle vicar. It's the, uh, <laughs> the classic... Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, we'll move on to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm bound to say it. That, oh, no, I've got to ask you another question first. Um, where did it all start for you? Why Sherlock? How did that happen? Yeah, I have an older brother. And back in 1965, the BBC started the series with Douglas Wilmer. Mm. And my older brother wanted to watch it. And I was not going to go out of the room just because he got his choice on television. I will point out that I was extremely young at the time. Yes, of course. Um, And I got hooked. And I've been interested in it ever since. I spent a lot of time, not surprisingly, probably because I became a librarian in my local public library. They had a lot of classic books about Holmes, the H.W. Bell, people like that, writing in the 50s and 60s. So I borrowed a lot of them. And then when I finally finished at university, qualified as librarian, I thought, what am I going to do? I know I'll join the Sherlock Holmes Society of London. So I looked them up in the um, directory of British associations. And that's how it happened. And suddenly your entire life is swayed just because you were too stubborn to leave the room while your brother was watching television. Yes. These are the choices that that light our paths, aren't they? Yeah. I don't think it did too badly. And I did want, I have met Douglas Wilmer a few times. And the first time I met him, 
was at a, a Northern Musgraves meeting and I got into the lift to go down to dinner and there was Douglas Wilmer in the lift. So um, You said this is your fault. Yeah, well, <laughs> I said thank you, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done the same thing with uh, with Bert. There's my first reference to Bert Cools. There are going to be more of them coming up because I talk about Bert in every single episode. Um, we talk about, we're talking about the solitary cyclist mm -hmm. for this episode. I've said over the last few weeks, or the last few episodes, that I think apart from the first few of the adventures this is my favorite run hmm. from about i'd say the final no the naval treaty possibly through to about the golden pontonet which i think is a par story it's okay hmm. i like it but I, but um i think this is the strongest section john doesn't completely agree with me on this because of the rabbits used in the norwood builder he's less happy with that hmm. um but i think he's wrong I know the answer to this, Catherine, already. Did you like The Solitary Cyclist? Yes, it's probably my favourite of the it's short stories. It's incredibly good. Yeah. It's incredibly good. Why does it why does it stand out for you? I think it's it's classic. If you look at Ronald Knox, and I'm bound to get a reference to Ronald Knox in, and the elements that he says should be in a Sherlock Holmes story, this one has nearly all of them. It starts yeah. off with the Baker Street, get the client's statement to the case, not much police, but if you substitute Watts and all that stuff with the police is there. I think this it's got a strong female character. Yes. She turns the bike round and bikes back fast at the bloke who's following her. Um, so I, I just think it's a cracking story. It's got some wonderful one-liners in it. Woodley went home in a cart. Yes. Too late, I she's my wife. One, yeah. No, she's my widow. <laughs> No, she's your widow. I think they are fantastically good lines. There's also, I've, I've got to give credit to, um, because I don't think it's in the story, to, uh, the Wikipedia um, mm. synopsis of this, where it, it describes um, Woodley as a bullying churl. Oh, right, yes. It's a lovely term. I'm going to, I'm going to be using that a lot. I really like that term. Um, it, it also has uh, begins with a unpublished story about the tobacco millionaire John Vincent Hardin, Yep. I must confess, when I did the recap for this, I kept calling him John Harden Vincent, maybe on about 33 consecutive times, and my, my girlfriend got quite frustrated with me. No, it's John Vincent Harden. Um, and I think, in a way, I, th I think the story is a vi it's Violet's story. It is another Violet. There's lots yep. of Violets. There's lots of Annie's, so they've worked, we've got another Violet. But I think there's a, a link here to when she first turns up at Baker Street and... Watson says straight away, he's not just looking after a strange death, which is his job. It's a tobacco millionaire, so it's important. It's money. And I know he never really talks about money, mm. primary school aside. Um, so this is big, 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 big news. Really big. And she walks in and says, yes, but what about this? Mm. And she won't leave. And he, I love it when it says Holmes gives a little smile. Mm. Do you think that's just because he admires the courage? Now, obviously, his view of women isn't always the the best. I think, and I'm going to stray away from the game here a bit, because you get a similar thing in Copper Beaches. You know, I think there's a definite link between the two stories. I would not like a sister of mine to yes, do that. Yes, exactly either. that, yeah. And I think this is Conan Doyle with his sisters, who as soon as they got old enough had to go off and be governesses, went to Portugal and actually died out there yeah. and i think this is him aware of the difficulties of a woman 
who has to make her own way in the world. Laura Lyons is another one. Yeah. And I think this is Conan Doyle's sympathy for the middle middle class woman whose choice is basically get married or get a job. Yeah. And they were just starting to be able to do that. I I, th- I think in terms of when he, the times he's writing it in, I also think that's quite a brave thing to do. Mm. Um, because I mean, even even the, um, Jane Eyre is still quite controversial at this point <laughs> in terms of the, the literary universe, mm. uh, and, and you know, and 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 Wuthering Heights and Catherine and what have you. But I think it's this, and I think it's very very closely linked to the Copper Beaches, but not in terms of story, just in terms of atmosphere. John and I in when we went through um, the adventures, went through a sort of almost tried to plot a graph of, is it in the city? Is it in the country? Why are the country ones more scarier? Hmm. And I think that there's a case of this and Copper Beaches because it is isolation and a very, very strong, tough woman involved. Well, Holmes uh, talks about the countryside being far more dangerous yes. than the town. I mean, in the town, in the cities, you've got neighbours, someone will hear, but not in the countryside. Yeah. I, th- I think it's an extraordinary, brave choice of of, uh, of theme, shall we mm. say, more, more than that, more actual story. Um, and you're right. I, I, it, she's, she's, um, she's very bright, obviously. Um, I love the stopping the bicycle round the corner and mm. waiting um and even the letters she writes to him basically just say not i'm petrified it's just it's basically i've had enough of this hmm. you know i'm 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 a i'm a teacher i'm engaged i've got a i've got another life and i don't want i'm trapped with this these odious men even though one's not that odious but he is because that's where he is in the first place um and i can't really think uh, apart from as you say, Laura Alliance, I can't really think of, of someone who is just so strong. I mean, I really am, obviously, for the, one of them on there. Um, and But not in this time of the collection. You know, he, he's about to be, in, in the stories that are coming up, he's about to cruelly use um, the, 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 the the maid in, Charles, in Milverton. Mm. That's coming up. And I think every now and then, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's an autobiographical thing of him saying, like, I want to write about a woman who is not just going to um, in the old Doctor Who 1960s world, is just, just going to turn her ankle in the mm. first three pages, and then everyone has to protect her. I can't really think of a contemporary writer who's doing anything like that at the time. Not unless you go into some of the. Um, I can't remember who wrote. Uh, Perkis wrote the. Is it Loveday Brook? Right. There were okay. several female detectives around. Yes. And Lady Molly of Scotland Yard, that Baroness Orksey, I believe. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. What about uh, Mina in uh, Dracula? Um, fairly strong yeah. woman character. Well, I, th- I think it's somewhat different for me because she stands in the in the sitting room at Baker Street and says, "No, listen to me." Yeah. I think that I think that might be my favourite thing, and 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 I, and I love the fact. I do genuinely think it's framed by the fact that he's investigating a millionaire's death, and she's not even a man. You know, because that that is the theme of the time, isn't it? So, so it comes to that. Um, one thing I did bump on slightly was the whole James Smith, Ralph Smith thing. She wouldn't know that her uncle was actually quite rich. I know he's been away for 25 years. I don't quite... There's also a little bit of a leap. I think Carruthers and Woodley were quite lucky that she, they, she happened to be reading The Times 
that day. I think that's my only slight snag with the plot. Except possibly the, the social class that she and her mother are in. Yeah. Are not reading the times. No, I think that's what struck me there. Because people, I remember, a... <laughs> reminds me in a way of something the other way around that Dame Jean Conan Doyle said to me once, and she said she'd been reading the Times for the obituaries. And I said, oh, no, I, I, I never read the Times. To which she said, how do you know when somebody you know has died? Which I sort of hmm. said, well, people I know wouldn't have an obituary in the Times, for one thing. So, you know, I think there is a, a difference. They're looking in the Times. They're, they're, they read that sort of thing. That's their class. Yeah. But maybe, and, and a men. And maybe women don't. If you look at pictures of the early public library reading rooms where there are papers and things for people to read, it's men. Yeah. It's not women sitting there reading them. No. And the uh, gentlemen's clubs as well, you know, they, they mm. read the papers and periodicals there. There was no space like that for women, was there? No. That's one of the things that made the department store when it started in the early 20th century, places like Selfridges. It was a safe place. Women could go. They could go and sit and have tea there or in a lion's corner house. That was the equivalent for them. And it was later on and it wasn't about reading papers. No, I think I think that's the only thing I found was a bit of a, a bit of a reach. But again, we, we always say with, it, with this podcast that it, this is done from a position of extreme love hmm. for the stories rather than... Um, Although we do we do rip some of them to pieces, usually the ones with mongooses, to be honest. Well, um, I mean, all of the stories, if you look at them closely enough. Yes. <laughs> I've got flaws. I mean, the case of misidentity, a uh, case of identity, of course. Yep. And famously, um, Colin Dexter wrote a case of misidentity, taking exactly the same clues and going to a completely different conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Identity. Conan Doyle never intended them to be high literature, and he fought to them the exact no. opposite, didn't he? Really? So, <laughs> they, they were they were money makers from uh, basically, weren't they? <laughs> well, when he does this, um, um, he gets the day wrong in this because he's clearly writing it. And, and you know, I, I always come back to this all the time. You know, it's a serial. You know, it's not meant to be poured over as literally, you know, literary criticism or anything like that. So, I think he says it's a Saturday when it's a Tuesday. Yeah, or something like that. Again, we've we've had this for the red-headed league, where suddenly it's April and then it's October again, um, which I absolutely love. Um, well, that we that was that, that. I mean, that is just explained by the fact that Watson was a doctor and the setters couldn't read his handwriting. Yes, yes, that's the way. Yeah, I think that gets us through a lot of issues. Yeah, um, if we say that as well. Um, there, there are, we do a section on the show called Watson Watch, mm -hmm. and. Um, to be honest, Catherine, a lot of it has been home sits in a chair, Watson listens, takes notes. Mm. Ends of story. I think this could be my favorite. And I, I know there's lots of things like he shoots the dog in in, the, in Copper Beaches, and he and he's Watson, and everybody loves Watson. But I think it's my favorite Watson episode, mm. just because. And and you said earlier that the story's got everything. Um, it's also got a great deal of humor. Yes, it has. In a story which it shouldn't have a great deal of humor. Uh, but um, uh, he's so happy when he comes back from Farnham, so proud of himself that he's seen the man. You know, he's been, he, he's found out about, um, you know, well, basically that the story exists. And it wasn't just a home just straight away. I, I, I didn't doubt her. That that's not the problem. Yeah, I, I just love, I just love Watson in this. He's just, 
because usually he's, he's sort of mostly, I know this is his role to be slightly mystified and then say at the end, oh my God, he's a genius. But he's um, so happy in this. I don't really see, well, obviously, um, Holmes says that he he didn't do much better himself. Mm. At least Watson didn't get beaten up. No. <laughs> um, which leads me really to Carruthers and Woodley. Mm. Did you like them as characters in terms of the job they do? Obviously, they're so fairly odious people. Well, Carruthers, I think, does redeem himself. He yes. goes to it. And he genuinely loves that, even though it's done yeah. from a very misguided place. Yeah. And he's looking after, trying to look after and, and do the best. And so I think he does redeem himself. He's possibly not as, as bad as Woodley. I mean, Woodley is just a classic, odious villain. He's a bore. He, he's just after the money. Um, well, I, I think it's interesting about Willie, though, is, is he's less cartoon than you think he would be. Hmm. He's genuinely awful. Um, I, I know he's, he's, in the Radio 4 adaptation, he's, they refer to him as Roaring Bob Woodley. Um, uh, he is just... Even his own <laughs> confederates loathes him. Yes. <laughs> it's scary. I think he's fantastic, and you know, that's a very difficult thing to say, because obviously he's I mean, he's not just proposing, is he, to to Violet? He's literally physically throwing himself yeah. at her, which, which again is is quite a, a brave term. And um, I think I think that adds to the story too. I don't um, think had she accepted him or the forced marriage being, I don't think she would have survived. I think no. she was done for her quite quietly. Got the no. money. That's it. Just divest myself of her. Yeah, I, I, th I think. Yeah, that's that's not going to be. Well, well, there's there's a whole issue about what well, the marriage wouldn't have stood anyway. No. So again, that is that is a small error with the plot actually, because you know, um, although um, Les points out in the annotator that um, uh, he still can marry the the clergyman, still can marry them, because he is defrocked, but he still has the power to to do that, but. Not, but not well, with a gag in him. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Actually, I think you can have a. Maybe this is a modern thing, and again, I think it might be. Yeah, I was thinking that the license can be completely removed. Um, yeah. It's not a case of once a clergyman, always a clergyman. Plus, also, it's got to be a, a location where a marriage can be yeah. carried out. As Deakin points out in the the commentary. Certainly now it has to be. Again, I'm not so sure about back then. Um, and certainly in America at that time, you didn't. In fact, in America, I don't think you even needed a clergyman. You just basically said, yep, yeah, okay, we agree we're married. And that, that was legal in America. Yeah. Well, but there still have to be bands of marriage read out, though. Um, That's that... in this country, yeah. in, in, a, in a church. and But you, know, you don't get the bands even now if it's not a church marriage. The bands are a church thing. They put an announcement on the um, uh, outside the registry office is like a sign up, mm. um, which yeah. is the, the the equivalent of bands. Um, but the um, I, I I think the darker part as well is what's going to happen after the ceremony, which is mm. kind of implied, isn't it? And uh, yeah, you know the, the the ruin of of Violet from that. Yeah, yeah. I, that that also makes me think. What? How did Williamson expect to get away with it? 
as well. And the only way he could possibly get away with that was probably murder. I think that and it, it's it's unspoken in the story um because and i think it, it's unspoken also because she's not scared she doesn't really see that as an option mm. she just wants to get away from um uh the, the, you know the the whole sorry affair of it um it's uh, i think there's also i've realized now that there's also ties to wisteria lodge mm. was trying to make a train that's uh you know <laughs> that is that isn't the um We talked about how wonderful this story is because it contains so much. Can I tell you my favourite line? Yeah. It's um, when he has the fight with Woodley and he's explaining it to Watson later. And he, I've written it here. His adjectives were very vigorous. Yes. <laughs> that is incredible writing. Yeah. That's so good. And he's got this the ability to... Conan's on. We always talk about the economy of story and... Mm. Um, when we had Neil on to do um, my friend Neil Atkinson to do the Scandal of Bohemia, he says he's basically doing a three act play in twelve pages, and he's getting everything. And it's a new character, and he wants you to rejoin the world, and he wants you to say, "This isn't the mystery. I'm t- telling you straight away. That's the king, not a count. That's not the story. I'm telling you this." Mm. And but in every single story, there is usually a line which is just wonderful. I'm a big fan of um, Watson just getting up one morning and being surrounded by a cloud of newspapers, so much so that I use that once a week myself. Um, It is such a compact story, and we haven't even talked about why it's called The Solitary Cyclist. I think there's an element of gothic in this Mm -hmm. as much as anything else, because I think, I mean, we talk about Doctor Who a lot on this story as well. The best Doctor Who stories, the most recent ones, which you must admit I didn't watch, but the ones I saw about five, ten years ago, are the ones where there is no monster. There is silence, there is wind, and that's the monster, and that's scarier. And I, I would lovely... say the scariest monsters I know, when they first came on, were the Weeping Angels in Blink. That's what and I'm that's thinking of, yeah. Exactly it. They're silent. You look at them, and they're stationary. And you look away and look back, and it's moved. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. And I'm not trying to make out that Carruthers is a very early incarnation of a Weeping Angel here. <laughs> Um, but um, that's pretty much what he's doing. Yeah, he stays exactly two hundred yards away, and for some reason, the fact that he's the protector makes it even scarier after the event. I just think that's. Um, I mean, it's, it's an awful disguise. He's <laughs> very bad at it. But it seemed to have worked. It did and work. Yes. Didn't realize. Yeah, he's adjusting his necktie. <laughs> yeah. That's quite strange. I also, I, I don't know where you stand on that. Do you think Holmes works out straight away that it's him? I know they talk about her, her intended. No, I don't think yeah. Holmes knows really what's going on at all. Um, I think it's only when the cyclists, when they've got the cut, they've turned around the horse and cart and they're going back to try and find out what's happening and where she is and they meet Carruthers coming. I think it's only when Carruthers says who he is that Holmes, I don't think Holmes does a great deal of actual detection. Or anything in this, it's it's a bit like some of the others, like the Veiled Lodger. There's no real detection in it. Holmes just goes, and people explain what's going on. I mean, he realizes he can tell the story once he's actually got there and seen this attempt at forced marriage. But I don't think he had an inkling before then. No, we, uh, we had Rob Nunn on to discuss um, the Barrel Coronet, and um, he he said about the Veiled Lodge. Holmes goes to goes to house, hears a story, sends something through the post. 
get something through the post, story ends. Yeah. Um, which sounds incredible. I, I always say the yellow face is another one as well, where he literally just turns up at a house and goes, oh, it's that. Yeah. And that's it. That's all he does. Hmm. There is no other. So there isn't a great deal of detection in, in this story. So to say that again, just to say again, we love this story. Hmm. But he gets a few things wrong in it. He, I think he slightly misunderstands the, the. It's only when um, uh, Carruthers uh, proposes where he thinks, hang on, this isn't good. Yeah. Woodley, Woodley's been seen again and now he's proposing and now he's in. And she says in the second letter, she's been proposing a lot. Yeah. That says, you know, there's something, um, there's something deep and dark going on there mm. as well. Um, so even though we love the story, it's not the work of genius that they all the others are, are they? It, it's not in the text, but a lot of them aren't. I mean, if you actually look at the whole of them, and I don't know the statistics off head, but I'd say a good third of them, there isn't really much in the way of detection in them. Yeah. So. Sorry, John not to get right to the final explanation of everything. There may be some detection and then somebody comes in and, oh, I got this far and they explain it or something. Yeah, It's proactive Holmes versus reactive Holmes, isn't it? And this is a reactive story where he's reacting to events and his presence does influence the ending because, you know, otherwise Woodley would be cycling about and find the dog cart and be too late. And then when he finds, um, no, sorry, Carruthers, my apologies, Carruthers would be uh, cycling about. And then when he finds Woodley and Williamson, um, he'd have killed them. So, you know, you'd, um, whether or not, you know, they've killed Violet themselves as well. So, you know, there'd definitely be a bloodier ending if Holmes wasn't running about, solving not solving the problem but reacting to the problem yeah and and saying no give me the gun this is it the the no more i'm taking over i'm the unofficial police yeah yeah i I think i think that's that's probably the most physical thing he does in the whole thing and um there are times when he when he becomes sherlock holmes the name as well as the genius and people oh right okay it's you okay well in that case i better back down and there's other stories about as well where he says uh where um where the vin- villain says, "Oh, oh, it's Sherlock Holmes. Oh, right, okay. So this this is serious. Then I probably have been caught. It's a yeah. reputation. He does this on with just authority, hmm. as, as much as anything else." Um, John, did you enjoy it? I did. I, I really enjoy this one. Um, uh, like yourself, Carl, I really enjoy the uh the bar fight. I I always forget though that we don't actually see the bar no. fight. We're just told no. about it because I've just got that brilliant um, scene uh, of Jeremy Brett um, and his, uh, his his little uh, dancing and stuff like that, and yes. uh, um, the um, you know the, the straight left and uh, things like that. Um, but it's it's an important reminder that Holmes isn't just someone who sits in his armchair and smokes a pipe and he isn't just cerebral he's he is uh, you know he he will fight if necessary he will um react to things and stuff like that and um he's he's a boxer it's uh yeah we we don't really see them do too much physical stuff he's a very very strong man to say that he's practically and they use the word aquiline a lot to discuss his jaw and what have you but he's very Frankly, he's quite a gaunt man. Um, I can't really think where... I mean, he, he has a fight at the end of the Naval Treaty, I think. Have I got that right? 
Does he? He threatens him anyway. He gets attacked by. Uh, I think he tries to attack yeah. him, doesn't he? And he. Uh... We we hear about a couple. Um, yeah. There was a boxer. He in an amateur com. You know, an amateur went against him and knocked him out. I've forgotten which story offhand. Um, There's the um, final problem as well, where he, uh, he knocks down a ruffian in the street. The police have him. Yeah. Always, always like that line. And the and, and the and, and the baritsu as well. The uh, the martial arts yeah. in the in the final problem. He he's strong as well. Um, in um the speckled band. Um, when when he bends the the oh, fire poker okay, yeah. back into shape, but which is a lot harder than bending it out of shape in the first place. <laughs> I was going to say, I've always thought about that. But it's not the same, is it? No. Been very very lucky if he's got that to be exactly the same condition it was in beforehand. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, I think that again, I, I say this all the time. Paul Edwards, my friend, who's done a couple of shows with us, um, he always says we have to remember they are adventures. It is the adventure of the solitary cyclist. So therefore, there is a bit of action every now and then. And obviously, the the Rathbone serials, they 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 spray it up with a bit more fighting and what have you, and and even shooting at some point. Um. But th- this is again, again, we we say it's got everything. It's even got physicality to it. It's um, it's chasing after dog carts. It's um, a, a wronged woman. It's a very strong woman. It's a marriage. It's defrocked clergyman. God, it's perfect, isn't it? <laughs> it's got absolutely everything. The Radio Four adaptation. I don't know if you if you remember that when it came out. Not as clearly as I remember the Brett. I have to admit. They do. They um, it's Dennis Quilly who plays mm-hmm. Carruthers, and um they make more of the fact that she's a music teacher and they bring the daughter in as part of it as well. So they will talk, uh, there are scenes when, you know, she, they can they can hear Woodley and Carruthers arguing uh, probably about, you know, who's got first dibs on her, really, mm-hmm. um, and the child's involved as well. And the reason that works so well for me in that story is because he's a singer and he sings Daisy Daisy and what have you, mm-hmm. and it makes such a difference. And I brought that up just because I asked Bert about... Um, about the Radio 4 adaptation, because I know we've got a lot of people who listen to this who really, really love those stories. Um, Carl, thanks for the message. Um, I was particularly pleased with Patrick Rayner's casting for The Sultry Cyclist, and especially delighted that the Dennis Quilly was not that, De- that Dennis Quilly was not only available but wanted to do it. The whole, the whole musical approach was conceived with him in mind. Um, Susanna Harker, who played Violet, who was also in House of Cards, was well known at the time because House of Cards was produced a couple of years earlier. I can't remember who the actors are in the Brett version now, but I can't remember who plays them. I can see him, but I can't remember his. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's one of the Richardson. I think it's Miranda Richardson. It's one of the Richardson daughters who plays um, Violet Smith. Natasha, I want to say it's Natasha. I'm not sure. Isn't it? Um, yes, yeah, Natasha Richardson. That's it. Yeah. It was Natasha, and Carruthers was again. It was an actor quite well known. Did a lot for Granada. He was in the Lost Empires series as well. We can let this. Is what John's for. This is exactly what John's for. John's going to look that up with, and he's, he's yeah. putting his thumb up to me already. Um, so, John, if you can find that who there is. I think it, it's interesting that she's a teacher. Uh, Raf- child, sorry, go on. Uh, Rafter the Carruthers in the Granada version, is that right? Yes. John yeah. Castle. That's his name, yeah. You know, I was actually yeah. looking him up before you said it because I was trying to remember the name of the actor. Because he's <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um. The daughter's very is, isn't really spoken of. No, I think no, we're a number of daughters and children, occasional son, 
in-house, in the ones where there's a governess involved, that by definition has to be a, a yeah. child. But they're Proper pictures again. Yeah. Not, yeah, not much is said about them. Uh, they're, they're just sort of incidental, almost a case of, well, there's a child, therefore we can get the governess into the house and into the situation we want the governess in. Yeah, I'm just thinking. So obviously, he can't go through everyone, uh, you know. If if he is such a compact writer and his editing is fantastic, mm. um, we can't really say. And then the child thought this about it, and you know, her dad had just been proposing to this woman she'd never met before, and this drunken South African man turned up every now and then. Um, you can't really put that in, can you? I suppose. No. Um, it, and at that date, the daughter probably didn't know her father very much. No. Absolutely no. I they they make a big thing in the Radio Four adaptation that they're they're big friends. They got on really well because there's no explanation about mm. what happened to um, Mrs. Carruthers if there was such a thing. Um, Presumably, well, one just assumes she died in childbirth or something. That tends to be the catch-all, doesn't it? It's like brain yeah. fever. Well, quite a lot of women did basically yes. at that point. Yeah. A very high proportion. It was fairly common, really up to fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. That, that the men were were remarrying with a couple of children. They had to remarry because the children needed a mother. Yeah. Man probably wanted it looking after as well. Hmm. I think that may also be a strong part of it. Yeah. To be honest. But it, have... it was more that way around than a woman having lost a husband and having two children. Yes. There's certainly none of those in the canon, not that I can think of anyway. No, it tends to be wars at that period that caused it. Yeah. 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 Or, or of course, um, um, maritime issues. People do tend to go away at sea a lot and not come back again. In, in that this, I'm not just talking with Sherlock. I'm just talking in general. There's always a sort of yes, he went away to sea and uh, or, or or was at war with Watson mm. with with his moving war wound that seems yeah. to move around the body occasionally. Yeah. Um, when we spoke initially, you said you had several um, there's several things about the solitary cycles that you particularly liked. Well, yeah, I think I think we pretty much covered them. We have actually, yeah. Um, when we run, ask the questions on this show, um, there's a there's a question coming which you may not like, mm-hmm. uh, which was, is it is it your favourite story altogether? You said it is. It is your yes. favourite story. Yeah. Here's the big question: What's your least favourite? Now that one I wasn't expecting. Excuse <laughs> me, I just have a quick flip through. And that's it. Yeah. Just, you know, I, just I, I always rank them in terms of the the absolute favourite. My absolute favourite is Bruce Partington. Is which uh, Bruce, Partington? Bruce Partington plants? That's my absolute favourite because it's got Mycroft in it as well, and it's, it's police heavy and it's it's cunning and there's a tube trade on it as well, which I quite like. Mm. Um, I think there's an awful lot of past stories. This is a boy. I think I think this is the second tier. John, where did he put Solitary Cyclist in his top twelve? I think there's a lot of past stories like Golden Pants and A, Abbey Grange, things like that, which are coming up in the in this collection. I think I think there's a lot in Abbey Grange. I think it's a very good story. This is a very good story. I mean, I mean, harsh to that really. And this is the problem with it because there aren't any real stinkers. Maybe one. Well, your <laughs> least favourite. I think I'm going to plump for the Blanched Soldier. Really? Is that mm. is that because of the lack of Watson or? I think that it's. I think it's rather a pedestrian story. Um, again, it's one where not a lot happens, really. Mm. Goes to, turns up at house, speaks to soldier, notice man wearing gloves, mm. solved. 
the the solitary cyclist isn't in his top 12. What? Would what? Hang on. At what point did he do them? Yeah, the twenties. I think he didn't. Oh yeah, it is quite late. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. I know that Nick Utek, Nick Utekin, quite some years ago, for the Sherlock Holmes Journal, did a new survey, and I think the BSI have done it a couple of times. So you know, there've been a number of these as to where the stories come. Um, be interesting to know whether it appeared in those, whether it's actually been something that people have grown into. But then Conan Doyle was a bit iffy about estimating his own work anyway. I mean, he said that um, The White Company was the best thing he'd ever written. Yeah, Most yeah, people exactly. would not actually agree with that these days. Um, he also, that... I think he was under a bit of pressure there because there's some criticism um, that his best work was, as, 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 as Neil Atkins has said, his first two albums were his best albums and he had albums later on in his career that he's got to say, that one's still pretty good. You know, so, so he was throwing the other one in. Although Bruce Partington planned it is one of the very late stories. And but I think that's easily my favourite. Yeah, it's a very good one. I think also that at, by the time you're doing The Return, he's writing the Sherlock Holmes stories, not because he wants to, but exactly. because he's been, he said, you know, Collier's came to him and said, how much money do you want? So he wrote back and some huge amount to put them off that they never say, never accept. And they came back and said, yeah, fine, go ahead. We'll have six or 12 or however many you want to write. Yeah. So that is going to colour his view of those stories, I think. Yeah, and also the, interest... even if he's recycling plots at that point. Yeah. I mean, in, well, aren't there only seven plots in the world anyway? Most exactly. of them are in the Bible. <laughs> um, it would be interesting how many of those 12 that he puts in the top actually come from post-Reichenbach. Okay, I've got, I've got the list here. I've got the list here. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So uh, in order, uh, The Speckled Band. Great. Uh the Red Headed League. Great. Uh Dancing Men. Post. Post. Uh Final Problem. Interim. Scandal in Bohemia. Great. Uh Empty House. Post just. Oh, yeah. Five yeah. Orange Pips. Great. Second stain. Post. Yeah. Devil's Foot. Very post. Priory School. I can't believe he's got Devil's Foot in, by the way. <laughs> Priory School's post, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Musgrave Ritual. He's got, he's got the Devil's Foot, but not the Solitary Cyclist. <laughs> okay. Oh, quite like the Devil's Foot as well. Yeah. Uh, and Rygate Squires. Which is pre, I think, just. So it's about yeah. half and half. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the solitary cyclist, because a couple of beaches wasn't in there either. Maybe a little bit close to home, a little bit too much like his sister's. Yeah, I think that could be part of it, yeah. Yeah. Especially as one of them did die while abroad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. There's going to be, yeah, there's going to be a sad element to that. Mm. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming on, Catherine. It's about a 45-minute show we do. Um, Pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I've been a bit naughty here because we ask our guests if they'd like to come on and discuss a show that they don't like. I'm sorry to tell you that The Blunt Soldier is available. <laughs> if you really want me to, I would, yes. <laughs> we always do it in the show so people can't say no either. So, well, If you can find somebody who actually likes it and would rather talk about it, I won't mind. Oh, no, no, not at all. This is far, this is much, much more fun. <laughs> 
Well, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I'm elated that you love the solitary cyclist as much as I do. I'm elated John didn't interrupt and start throwing things about rabbits or whatever the equivalent of rabbits would be for this. He didn't like the fact that the rabbit bones in the Norwood Builder. Well, I now, if you don't know, I will tell you that I have been to Switzerland with the Sherlock Holmes Society of London quite a number of times as Violet Smith. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that's tremendous. Oh, now, now I've got to come up with a Sherlock name for myself as some sort of alias to use. And so <laughs> I think I can give the, the Count von Kramer miss. I don't think I'm going to get away with that one quite so long. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you again very soon in two stories time. OK. Thank you very much. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much indeed. It's been great fun. Bye. I would like to thank our hosts at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening.